Welcome back to Tales at the Campfire. My name is Asher Wertheimer, and we're going to be doing something a little different today. If you're um, a listener of this show, you'll know that usually I would read out a short story and discuss the meanings of certain parts of the story, give a little bio of the author, and so on and so forth. But I decided to change things up, at least for this week, maybe next week, we'll see. Maybe it's because I've been secluded that I'm getting a little, um, how would you say, a little philosophical. So, in a way, this episode is kind of more reminiscent of the episodes of 22 Hours to Park City, which I recorded with my friend Wade. But Wade's not going to be here today. Today, I'm going to talk to you about something that has bothered me, especially recently because I've encountered it more recently. And I'd like to clear it up because people have a lot of misconceptions, and that's what bothers me. Quick little disclaimer, though. The information I'm going to be talking about in this show, on this episode, it might be a little, I don't want to say controversial, but it's a topic for debate. It's a philosophical topic. It's a philosophical school of thought. Some of you may not agree with the school of thought. Some of you might agree with it wholeheartedly. And some of you might have to think about it a little bit more. In the interest of full disclosure, I personally do agree with this school of thought, with this philosophy. But I'm not going to try and convince you. That's not the purpose of this episode. I'm not going to be calling anybody out. I'm not trying to offend anybody or change anybody's mind. If anyone has anything to say, feel free to contact me or comment below this episode and I'll answer you so long as we do so in in an appropriate and mature manner. So I'm not here to argue. Indeed, what I'm here to do is clarify Because if we disagree on the elements of the argument, then we can't have a proper... If we disagree on the elements of the debate, we cannot have a proper debate. All right, let's get into it. This past summer, before I was quarantined, before we were all quarantined, I went on a road trip with some friends. If you want to hear about that, you can look into 22 Hours of Park City. We talk about it, uh, I think, well, throughout many episodes, at least in our first one. And I know I did write a post about it here on the uh, WOCR website, my summer road trip. And on that road trip, our first stop was Omaha, Nebraska. And Omaha was a very strange spot, as I talk about in that post. And... It seemed like we had walked into the uncanny valley, like Rod Serling was about to narrate our lives. 
not something you want if you know who that is. But one of the only places of solace that we found was a Barnes and Noble. And in that Barnes and Noble, I went looking for a certain book, a book that I'd been interested in buying for a while based on multiple... I was inspired by multiple uh, TV shows, actually. One was A Good Place, the other was Dark. Both wonderful shows. Give them a look. And the book that I was looking for was The Gay Science, or The Joyful Wisdom. It's been translated multiple ways. And that book was written by Friedrich Nietzsche. Nietzsche. Not Nietzsche. That's the first clarification. Nietzsche was a German philosopher in the late 19th century, and he wrote multiple books, um, and The Gay Science is one of, a, one, of his, one of his collections. Now, some of you may know Nietzsche for reasons that are less than desirable, and that's what I'm here to talk about. You see, Nietzsche was beloved by multiple people throughout the early 20th century, two of whom were Adolf Hitler and Benito Mussolini. That's why Nietzsche has such a bad name amongst people. That's why people think that Nietzsche and his philosophies praised uh, well the horrible things that were done by Hitler and by Mussolini Nietzsche was one of the most influential existentialists now existentialism is a school of thought that is very often confused with nihilism and pessimism those latter to basically say there is no point to the world. There is no point to existence. Uh, existence is meaningless, and therefore we should despair. Existentialism is different. Existentialism was a school of thought that basically thought there is no meaning to the world. There is no meaning to the universe, and we find liberation in that. We find complete control over our own lives and our own destinies through that. Because there is no meaning, because there is no set plan, we design that plan. We create the meaning. I associate strongly with that. I find that, that idea comforting. It's something that I came to before I even read Nietzsche or heard of Kierkegaard or any of those other uh, existentialist philosophers. But Nietzsche also had, um, how shall we say, statements that were uh, construed. Like any great thinker or philosopher, or I guess you could even say genius, he was a little bit kooky. Just look up Nietzsche's final words, uh, a phrase that he kept repeating over and over again before his death. Uh, 
yeah, it it kind of he wasn't exactly all there, but what genius is. One of Nietzsche's ideas, well, many of his ideas were misconstrued by people down the road. They were corrupted. Hitler and Mussolini loved Nietzsche because they did exactly that. They misconstrued what he was saying. They corrupted his ideas to work to their benefits. Same thing happens in any form of thinking. Look at look at the Quran or look at the Bible or look at the Torah. There are phrases in there that people nowadays or in the past have used to justify horrendous acts. There's nothing in the Quran that uh, that speaks of murdering uh, Westerners or terrorism. But some extremist groups have used the Quran as their justification. Islam does not condone such violence, but people use it to condone that violence. They, they justify it by certain passages that they have mis- misread or that they misrepresent. The same thing happens in Christianity and Judaism. And the same thing happens with Nietzsche. And people believe still to this day that what Nietzsche stood for is what Hitler stood for. And one great example of this that, that is very often cited is the idea of an Übermensch, which is German for an over person and a superior human, the Superman. Right? Nietzsche spoke of a, of a Superman, and, and a, a person, a new breed of human. And Hitler also spoke of an Übermensch. And he said that the Übermensch was the German people. He said that the German people were the supreme race, that all other races were inferior, untermenschen, and as such should be destroyed. This led to the Holocaust and so many atrocities. And Hitler used Nietzsche to justify that. He said that Nietzsche spoke of the Übermensch, that Nietzsche said that the the Übermensch was the new wave of humanity, and because Germans were the Übermensch, they should eliminate all the Untermenschen, all the people that were below them, the inferior races. And so Hitler tied himself to Nietzsche the same way that he tied himself to Wagner, the famous, famous composer who had nothing to do with Hitler's ideologies, but who Hitler loved and who is, and because Hitler loved him, therefore Wagner is, has sort of this taboo about him. If Hitler loved him, we can't. That, I find, is ridiculous. 
Hitler was anti-smoking too. That doesn't make anti-smoking a bad cause. We can separate the two. We can separate the atrocities that Hitler committed with the people whose music he enjoyed or whose philosophy he enjoyed. And here's the thing. Nietzsche never condoned genocide. He never spoke of the Übermensch eradicating the Untermenschen. He hated authoritarianism. He hated everything that Hitler stood for. Actually, Nietzsche's sister was an anti-Semite. She stood with Hitler. Nietzsche didn't. Nietzsche was dead before Hitler came along. Nietzsche died before the First World War was even fought. But he says in his book, The Gay Science, he warns against a, a, a Caesar, as he puts it, a Caesar who comes in to a country, gains power through fear, and, through, and by being a demagogue, and he surrounds himself with people who will only grant his every wish, who will never contradict him. And he usually arises, this Caesar, in an area of great prosperity, in a country that is enjoying great prosperity. And then he takes credit for that prosperity, even though he has done nothing to make that country prosperous. And this last detail does not fit Hitler. Hitler rose to power in a country that was very, very poor and in dire straits. And he implemented programs that did save Germany. It brought them back to, to the, the prosperity that they had enjoyed before the war. But his total control, his ruling out of fear, that was something that Nietzsche did not condone, that he warned about. And so having read bits of this book, The Gay Science, and having encountered discussions of Nietzsche that, that uh, assume that he condoned Hitler's actions just because Hitler used him as justifications, I, I thought that some people could do with clarification. And so here we are. Nietzsche did not condone genocide. He did not condone authoritarianism. He did not condone a demagogue. When Nietzsche spoke of an ubermensch, of a superman, he wasn't referring to a genetically superior human, a certain race that had risen above the rest, a certain race that was superior to the rest. Nietzsche's ubermensch, his superman, was a person who cast aside the ideas of religion, who threw aside Christianity. He mentioned Christianity in particular because the Western civilization had grown around Christianity in the past few centuries. And so the Ubermensch was a person who freed himself from Christianity, who became an atheist and developed his own 
moral compass. Not one dictated to him by some supernatural force, by a god, but one that he developed himself or she. This Ubermensch was supposed to be the next stage in human evolution. They were supposed to move on from the restraints of religion. They were supposed to step out of that box and lead humanity for humanity, not for a god. That's what the Ubermensch was. The Ubermensch was supposed to be inclusive. It did not matter if you were Jewish or if you were German or American or uh, from Norway or black or white or rich or poor. It didn't matter. Although he had some things to say about the rich too. The point was that an Ubermensch could be anybody so long as they stepped away from Christianity and its morals and created their own moral code that benefited humanity, drawn by humanity, without any need to worship something supernatural. And so this, this idea is not inherently terrible. It's what... Hitler and Mussolini did with it that was terrible. They manipulated it. And so Nietzsche went down into common culture's collective understanding as a racist and as a Nazi when he was anything but. So, that's what Nietzsche truly said. Now let's get into what it means. Because this is actually a question that we are still struggling with. That people will find potentially disagreeable. If you believe in God... If you're a Christian, if you're a Jew, if you're a Muslim, if you're any religion that believes in a god or gods, this idea may seem difficult. It may seem contrary to your belief because it is. The first step in this concept is that one becomes uh, an atheist. And that is a big step to take for people. And so if you disagree with this concept and theory, that's perfectly okay. One can argue that you can – that it, there's no harm in believing something or that even if you wanted to, you couldn't stop believing in a god if you still believe in that god. This is called Pascal's Wager. It's sort of a flipped version of Pascal's Wager. But Pascal's Wager says if there is a god, or no matter the circumstances, it behooves you to pray to a god or to believe in a god because 
you, you have four options. Either A, God is real, and if you're praying to him, you go to heaven. This is assuming a Christian God. B, God isn't real, and if you pray to him, no harm, no foul, you just die and you lose nothing. C, God is real, and you don't pray to him, then you're punished, and you go to hell forever. Or D, God isn't real, and you don't pray to him, in which case, you're fine, no harm, no foul. So of the of the options, it behooves you to pray to or to believe in a God, to go to church, to believe in a God, to pray, to practice his, his different tenets, um, obey his rules, all of that, because it covers all bases. If you pray to the God, if you worship the God, if you believe in the God, then you're set no matter what, because either God isn't real and no harm, no foul, or God is real and you're covered and you enter heaven. That's Pascal's wager. My response to that is, if I do not believe in God, then I cannot suddenly choose to believe in God. My belief is, is hollow. It means nothing. So by that same token, even if a human being wanted to become the ubermensch that Nietzsche spoke of, wanted to, to excel in that way, but they did believe in God then there's nothing they can do because you can't suddenly choose not to believe in something. If you believe in it, then you believe in it. And so, like I said, I'm not trying to convince anybody here. I'm not trying to sway anyone to this side. I'm trying to explain this concept because there are misconceptions about it. Most famously, Nietzsche wrote... Uh, something that is pretty bold. And he first wrote it in uh, The Gay Science, and it was repeated in uh, his other book, Thus Spoke Zarathustra. And I'm going to read it now, and it kind of encapsulates why Nietzsche believed that one had to step away from Christianity or religion in general, or why someone... Um, had to free themselves from that, as he put it. I'll read it and then I'll explain what I mean. God is dead. God remains dead. And we have killed him. How shall we comfort ourselves, the murderers of all murderers? What was holiest and mightiest of all that the world has yet owned has bled to death under our knives. Who will wipe this blood off us? What water is there for us to clean ourselves? What festivals of atonement, what sacred games shall we have to invent? Is not the greatness of this deed too great for us? Must we ourselves not become gods simply to appear worthy of it? So... That's pretty rough. And what Nietzsche is saying here is 
at the time of his writing, the world had been moving slowly and slowly away from uh, away from Christianity and away from organized religion. And this is still the case. More and more people each year turn their backs on religion. They, they do not believe in a God or they maybe are simply agnostic. Whatever the case, they are not. We, this new generation, we do not practice religion in the same in the same numbers that our parents and our grandparents did a famous scientist from Israel um, Yuval Noah Harari also writes about this in his book um, Homo Deus he just puts it in, in less shocking terms as God is dead and we must wipe his blood off of us no matter how shocking that phrase might be what Nietzsche is trying to say is that we as a collective society are moving away we are turning our backs on religion and we are moving towards what is called humanism placing value on humans not gods we are focusing on the human aspect of life this world is ours. So he says, we must become gods. We must take control of our own destinies, not put them in the hands of the divine. We must become the divine. For some people, this is terrifying. This idea that the universe is meaningless, that there is no grand design, there is no God watching over us. And I get that, truly. When I, when I thought of this too, when I first came to this conclusion on my own without reading Nietzsche or anything like this, I was scared too. I found it daunting and I felt alone and I felt meaningless. And Nietzsche talks about that feeling. He says that this idea will cause nihilism. It will cause despair amongst people. Because what's the point if there is no point? So that's why he suggests we become the gods. We write our own destiny. And that was the same conclusion that I came to. I now find comfort in this. I feel better that there is no grand design because that makes, that makes me controlling my life easier. It means, in my perspective, that everything is as it should be. Nothing can go awry because there is no plan. Sounds a little chaotic, I know. But my thought process was this. There is no meaning in the universe. There is no meaning behind why we're here or what life is. There is no meaning. But that doesn't mean there is no purpose. Because if there is no meaning, if there is no plan set out by a divine creator, then we have free reign to choose our own purpose. 
the purpose is made by you now. You can choose that your purpose should be to accumulate the most amount of material wealth as possible. And that can lead to the destruction of relationships and the objectification of people. It can be horrible. Or you can choose that your purpose is to see as much of the world as you want to see. See as much as you can. Travel wherever and whenever you can. Or your purpose can be to, to love, to find a family, find a home, and find a nice job and just live like that. That can be your purpose too. The point is, you can choose. There are no limits. That doesn't mean that there are no rules. Our rules here in this country are already set up like this. They are theoretically, not based on the rules of any particular religion. We have freedom of religion in this country, and we have freedom from religion in this country. We must not obey any laws based on religion. So all of our laws are secular. They are based on us, not God's divine command. So we're already living in a society... Theoretically, there are points where we fall short that is based on secular rules. And we survive. We survive with that. There are flaws in our society, of course. But that's the point, is we constantly work towards that ubermensch. Others have said that this concept is pessimistic, that it's dark. It leaves no room for light. I hope I've proven that that's not true. And you can ascribe to this. You can find this interesting. And if you do, I encourage you, go out and buy one of Nietzsche's books. Buy The Gay Science. Read some of it. It's heavy. It's thick. It's not long, but the text, it is thick. It's originally written in German from you know the late 1800s and then translated, so it's difficult to read. But I found it very interesting. I find it very enlightening too. And I find it also very interesting that a lot of the elements that he speaks of in the book I see in our society today. Because if you are smart enough, you can see the patterns and you can tell that they will repeat themselves. You can predict the future based on the past. Now, I have friends who do not agree with this philosophy and we discuss it sometimes. I have friends who find comfort in their faith and that, I say, is totally fine. I agree with Nietzsche. I agree with the concept of the Ubermensch stepping away from religion and creating their own destiny and their own morality. And to disagree is fine. Because to disagree means that you think for yourself. You do not accept whatever philosophy is placed in front of you. And I encourage that. I encourage criticism of this philosophy. I encourage discussion on it, debate on it. 
So long as it is done within the realm of logic, I welcome it. I encourage it. I'm sorry that this kind of came out of left field, this episode. Uh, I was just thinking about it more and more. And like I said, to be locked inside a house for seven days straight kind of makes you think weird things and go down strange avenues with your mind. So that's my little explanation. I hope that you have learned that Nietzsche was not a man who encouraged genocide. He was not a person who encouraged genetic superiority of one certain nationality or race. He was a person who encouraged enlightenment, who encouraged free thought, and who encouraged taking your life into your hands and making your own destiny. Again, you can agree with what I've said here, you can disagree with it, is perfectly fine. To think that a life without God or a life without some plan is scary, that's fine. You should not give up your tenets or your beliefs because someone else wants you to. That's ridiculous. If it makes you happy and it does not harm other people, I encourage you to continue with your faith. No one should tell you otherwise. Even if they agree with me and they tell you otherwise, let me know. I'll have a chat with them. I hope everybody has a nice day. I hope everybody stays safe. And if you're wanting to talk about this further, leave a comment below. Whether you agree with me or not, I will gladly, gladly discuss this with you. Like I said, I've got friends who are on the exact opposite side of this issue as me, and we talk about it all the time and always come out fine. Perhaps I'll have one of them on next time and he can offer his view. I think you'll find it very interesting as well. I thank you for donating 34 minutes of your time to me. Stay safe, stay happy, and stay thoughtful. Thank you.